A Bundesliga season without Schalke 04, a couple of years ago that would have sounded like a crazy thought, but these days Germany's top tier has to do without one of the clubs with some of the most passionate support on offer. How could that happen? And where are the Royal Blues going from here? That is what we'll be talking about on Talking Fußball Extra, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. My name is Nick Wiltang and I'll be your host for this episode and joining me today is freelance journalist and former Elfreunde editor Ron Ulrich. Great to have you back on our show, Ron. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm, uh, unfortunately we have to talk about Schalke, your favorite club getting relegated, which I'm, I'm sure it still hurts. So Schalke, they, they surprised a lot of people by going down last season. Nobody really had them on the list of a potential relegation candidates at the start of the 2020-2021 season. But even before the season there have been a lot of things that were going wrong at the club, which ultimately caught up with the people in charge at the Valdez Arena. So what has the club neglected over the last few years? Oh, it's difficult to answer because there were so many people involved who took the wrong decisions after and after. I think the main problem was that there were too many people in charge with uh, different views on things, starting with maybe Christian Heidel, who was yeah, kind of like a sporting director, He came from Mainz and he was really impressed how things go at Schalke. At Mainz it was a bit tiny and uh, a small club with not so many ambitions apart from staying in the league. And when Heidel arrived at Schalke, the first transfer he uh, made for Schalke was Real Embolo for, I think, 25 million euros. And he and the CEO of Schalke flew to Switzerland with a private jet. And Heidel was really impressed by it. And Schalke snitched Embolo away from the likes of RB Leipzig and Milan and some other heavyweights of European football. But that showed that Schalke had a lot of ambition, but really was punching over their weight. And coming with these massive amounts of transfer sums for uh, single players, there were also massive wages who contributed to the financial crisis of the club. And yeah, Heidel had the view of putting together these these guys and really neglecting the, um, the scouting system. There weren't so many people involved. Some people say that uh, even students from the University of Cologne contributed to the scouting system. So Schalke wasn't really inventive by getting younger players and develop them to a certain degree. What they did was spending a lot of money for average players and uh, the team really didn't yeah, stick together, fit together, and there was no balance in the team. And when Heidel left, another man came, uh, he was, uh, it was Jochen Schneider, and he had different views on it and really changed so many things. So you had a, in the end, you had a squad that was combined by different sporting managers and different, yeah, different managers who all had different views on the players. And there was, No, it was like a puzzle, with, but with so many parts of the puzzle who really didn't fit. And that all contributed to Schalke having a really miserable squad and with no hierarchy and with no balance. And I think that was the case at the beginning of the season you were talking about. Mm, I mean, so many people, when, when I told them I, I was going to do an episode on Schalke, they, their, their main question about the club is, could this relegation have been prevented or was it inevitable? Uh, it really uh, could have been prevented uh, even in uh, the winter break. 
looking back at this moment, Schalke had as many points as Mainz 05. I think it was seven points in the first round of the season. And what Mainz did was, yeah, uh, getting players on loan who really identified with the club, uh, changing the manager, changing the system to a more forward and more brave uh, approach. And Schalke didn't do anything like that. Schalke got a new manager, Christian Groß, who wasn't really into the the, the high-stage football for 10 years. He was somewhere in, I think, some Arabic uh, states and really didn't manage the top-flight team. And uh, there were doubts about him being at the level of modern football. And yeah, that was really the case. Schalke didn't play football with an idea. And a lot of players told us afterwards that the manager, Christian Gros, didn't know their names. And the player themselves really were responsible for the tactics in particular games, but it uh, didn't improve, didn't change for the better. So you had different managers with different approaches, uh, like uh, Manuel Baum, who tried to implement an open play and um, having high technical standards, whereas the team was struggling to get along with the basics of football. And you have Christian Gros, who, as people told us, didn't have a clue at all. And Schalke was not so creative by signing new players. What they did was getting back Serge Lovinac and Klaasian Huntela to older players yeah, who really couldn't get things right. So Mainz did everything right, uh, what Schalke did wrong at the stage in the winter break. And so it could have been prevented even in the winter when the uh, situation was, was bad. But yeah, as, as always, Schalke, Schalke just took the wrong decisions. <laughs> well, I mean, when, when I take a closer look at chaos clubs, I always tend to look at the list of coaches over the last few years. And one of the things that struck me with Schalke is that there have been so damn many coaches. So I went back and thought, well, who was the last coach who managed more than two seasons? Do you, do you remember who that was? Maybe it was uh, Hoop Stevens in his uh, second uh, tenure, or uh, Mirko Slomka, maybe. It was it was Mirko Slomka Mirko between Slomka, 2006 yeah. and 2008, and, and since then, I mean, there's been Felix Magath, Ralf Rangnick, Hoop Stevens, Jens Keller, Robert Di Matteo, Andre Breitenreiter, Markus Weinzierl, Dominic Tedesco, <laughs> David Wagner, Manuel Baum, Christian Cruz, and now Dimitris Gramotzis. Oh, yeah, I couldn't have named them all. So um, um, it's, uh, I, I'm, I had I'm really confused by it. I, I mix them all <laughs> up with the years and the names. It, uh, uh, so too I, many managers, yeah. Yeah, I have to have the list in front of me to remember all the coaches over the last decade, which uh, in itself is a sign of chaos. I mean, what has the sporting leadership been lacking? It has, has there been a lack of clear-cut philosophy going forward? Because... At some clubs, you have a sporting director who says, okay, I have a clear-cut philosophy of these players I want to bring in and I want to play this type of football. So mm. when they change coaches, it's not the end of the world. But yeah. when you look at the list of, of these coaches, many of them have vastly differing football philosophies. And uh, to top it all off, the guy with the best points uh, per game average on that list is the much maligned Jens Keller, yeah. who Schalke couldn't get rid of quickly enough. So... What, what's been going wrong? Why, why has Schalke not been able to find a coach who's been able to stick at the club for more than two years over the last decade? I think you put it 
exactly uh, the right way. And uh, there's also an anecdote. I have to get back to Christian Heidel again. He told that the media when he came to Schalke and there was this um, the first uh, chat with the board of Schalke. He was asked, uh, "What is your philosophy you want to implement?" And he answered, "Why you ask me that? Because you're the club. You have have to have." A philosophy and just choose the managers and the sporting directors that really fit to it or that stick to it and he was confused by that very first question he got asked when he when he came to shark and the thing is for a de- more than a decade Clemens Tunius yeah, he was uh, the tabloids called him the boss of shark he had no clear strategy and he himself Put it that way that he wasn't that um, hasn't had uh, a lot of knowledge about football, but he had a lot of people who told him what to do. And um, there were this one guy from from the tablet paper and one guy who works as an agent. There were his yeah you know, his buddies, his friends who uh, had a lot of influence on him, and yeah, that means a lot of influence on the club. And that is the reason why, in my eyes. Uh, the direction of the club has changed so often and uh, looking at the position of the sporting director it always was the case that Schalke was scouting for the biggest names in the game like Felix Magath when he was <clears throat> when he was the manager and sporting director and one person um, of the um, then champion father Wolfsburg Christian Heidel the same Guys with different approaches and different views on football, but were, who were put in the position at Schalke. And um, yeah, it, then they were put there not because of a philosophy or their style of football or style of work, but because of their names and their achievements uh, at other clubs. But you can't really uh, compare the likes of Mainz 05, where Christian Heidel was working, or Father Wolfsburg, where Felix Magat was very, very um, uh, had many uh, had a, the biggest success of uh, becoming champion. You couldn't really compare uh, these clubs to Schalke because it's it's much more calm there. You you haven't so many influence from the outside. And uh, yeah, as you put it, that was the main reason why things things go that south for Schalke. Mm. You mentioned Clemens Tönnies there, and, and his name eventually always pops up when, when you talk about Schalke, even though he stepped down from his position as CEO back in June of 2020. What did his resignation mean for the club? Because he's been gone for over a year now. Yeah, but the contracts and the persons in charge were illicit or chosen by him. And I know he wasn't the, the main man or the only man responsible for the relegation. But the structures of the club that leads to Schalke, you know, being in a not only a sportive disaster but also in a very serious financial crisis, that was because of the basics that that he he put there. And Schalke over the years was also always dependent on fresh money coming just in in the very last minute to help them. They always planned with the money they get from the Champions League. But this is. Uh, this is not a good plan if you say we calculate with the money from the Champions League and you miss the Champions League for one season. That's a minus of at least 30 million euros in your pocket. And you can maybe survive that for one year, but not for a, for a second in a row. And if you're in that serious financial crisis, that really leads to 
that you can't really keep up with the sustainability in all your plannings. That really leads that you're planning from day to day, getting players and coaches that bring you the fast success, but not the success in the long run. So the structures of the club, they really were there and they led to the relegation and he was the man you can identify with these bad structures. But I have to say, uh, again, he wasn't the only one uh, responsible for it, but he had such a big influence in the club that he was the man for the direction and no one really dared to contradict him. And there were only the people who really were dependent on him, so there was no room for contradiction. And what a what a club also needs is discussions. And yeah, that wasn't the case in the board at Schalke. I mean, well, he, he got away with a lot of things over the years. I mean, there was the whole sausage loophole saga of 2016, when uh, several companies owned by him actually uh, illegally talked about pricing of their products. Uh, they were then fined 128 million euros. Tony simply got away from that fine by simply removing the companies from the trading registers, which is now not longer possible in Germany because of him. There have been stories about Eastern European workers being shipped in and living in uh, slave-like conditions, according to Neuwestfälische Zeitung. There has been a COVID outbreak at his factories. There were racist remarks during the day of labor in Paderborn. So and the comics all, scandal as well. Um, there you go. Yeah. So many scandals, I can't find them all. How relieved were Schalke's fans when he finally was gone in 2020? Uh, it wasn't that clear. I think the the organized fans scene and um, the supporters who travel to every game, the ultra groups, they were relieved when when he when he went. A lot of other supporters still thought that it was his money which was in the club and helped the club, but uh, they really forget that it was always a loan and or different loans he always got his money back it wasn't like like gifts he uh he gave the club he helped the club with his contacts and he was the reason why the, the likes of Magat and and Heidel and maybe some players came to the club that is without a doubt but if you take a closer look to the identity of Schalke they're always very proud and show it on their merchandise and products that state we are a Kumpel und Malocha club, like a, like a workers and miners club. And there were also, um, Schalke was one of the first clubs in Germany who put yeah, a status or, or lines that state that the club is against any form of racism or discrimination. They put it into their agenda or their like constitution of the club. I don't know the right English word, but they put it into their constitution in the beginning of the 90s. So Schalke was one of the first clubs who really stood up against racism. So these two points, being a club for the workers and being a club against racism, really stands against his actions of racist comments and also uh, handling uh, the handling of his workers, like putting them in so bad conditions uh, that lead to the to the outbreak or the consequences of um, of the COVID cases in his uh, company. So a lot of fans really say that when these two scandals break out, it had another dimension and it was not really, it couldn't get along anymore with the principles of the club. 
watched the uh, opening match of, of last season. He had already resigned, but suddenly Clemens Turnis popped up on the stands of the Allianz Arena during that fateful uh, 8-0 loss. Is there still a feeling that this man is hovering around the club, itching to get back? Now, at the moment, he uh, put it quite clear in a recent interview that he won't return to the club. I think when he saw that uh, hundreds of people were assembling around the stadium, shouting that he should go out and he should uh, leave the club, this is something that really yeah, uh, puts scratches on his ego. And uh, one time, in the, I think in the winter break, he offered the club fresh money for uh, through new sponsors. But uh, the board then refused because his um, condition for giving the money was that the entire board would stand behind him and vote for him. And he couldn't get all of the votes. And that was the reason he said, okay, you don't, you don't see me there anymore. I think it was his ego got so many scratches throughout the, uh, the past season that at the moment I can't really imagine him returning to the club Furthermore, two of his main opponents are the key figures in new board at Schalke. I think they would prevent a return of uh, Clemens Tennis, I'm quite sure. Mm. Over those couple of years where Clemens Dennis had this racism scandal, where he made some really derogative remarks about Africa and uh, the whole COVID outbreak at his factory, you, you had the feeling that the fan scene and the club were at odds. Additionally, you had stories about pensioners being let go from their bus driving positions. Yeah. I mean, what, what many listeners may not know is that pensioners in Germany actually can make to up to, what, what was it, 400 euros on sort of side jobs after they've retired. Yeah. And Schalke had a few pensioners driving around their youth teams and buses. And, and these people were the first, first ones to let go bar after COVID hit the Bundesliga, which uh, probably is not a great thing if you're workers and miners clubs and you have a lot of employees making millions and millions and millions of euros. That's it. How has the relationship between the fans and the club developed since? Is it, is it getting closer again is it is it sort of getting back together yeah first of all there's another case i would like to add because at the same time when the when the bus drivers uh, were forced out of the club there was also a plan of the of the club or some formulas some papers sent to um, the, the supporters that they should um, prove that they are not able or that they that they're in a bad financial situation and can't get the club or for long um, the money they spent for the season tickets. So they, the people who were uh, living on the dole, had to prove that they do so and that they that they have the right to get their money back. They already spent for their season ticket. They couldn't go to the stadium, so uh, they had all the rights in the world to receive their money back. But Schalke didn't really, you know, keeping in mind the miners and workers club. Schalke really didn't uh, take notice of that, but forced the supporters to prove that they have the right to get their money back. That was something, that was a case that really, that really struck everyone and really showed the, um, you know, the, that there is no uh, sensitiveness left back in the club. And if you ask me how the situation is right now, there was a game taking place on Saturday when Schalke scored, and just before the end, the, um, the 3-1 goal against Fortuna Düsseldorf, and there were 25,000 people in the stadium, and uh, the whole arena was erupting. 
And if you're now in the stadium, you can you can sense really that there's um, there's a lot of excitement and identification with the with the recent with a new team with a new board and uh, a lot of people really think that the situation right now could be a good time for breaking new ground and you know changing changing all things from the financial situation and the sportive situation and all that so a lot of Schalke supporters really forgot what happens not only on the pitch but also outside and all the, the people who yeah who were responsible for the miserable situation in the last season they're all gone so uh, from the from the personal stuff yeah there's there's reason to believe that there's new ground but if Schalke doesn't manage to get promoted this year I think the situation could get tensed again well it's going to be a very tough ask of this young team to get promoted because I think out of the 106 German championships that have been handed out currently around 50 of them <laughs> are divided among teams in the Bundesliga 2. And there's, of course, Kaiserslautern down there in, in the third tier and alongside 8060, also a couple of championship winning clubs in the past. And if you go over the names of the clubs in, in the Bundesliga 2 right now, you've Werder Bremen, you've got Nuremberg, you've got San Pauli, you've got HSV, Fortuna Düsseldorf, Hanover 96. I mean, I could go on for some time. So many of these clubs currently playing in the Bundesliga to have a recent past in the Bundesliga. So how do you think Schalke are stacking up against that bunch? Because they've got rid of some of their highest earners and replaced them with, um, you know, the likes of Simon Terodde and Dani Latza. So is, is this current squad good enough to go up or are they going to struggle? They will struggle. Uh, I think it's because of the league uh, itself, because it's it's a tough league, and uh, you could see it in the first match days that the teams who know each other and uh, who have a squad that is hasn't been changed so much as the, Sch the Schalke squad. Yeah, they have the advantage. Look at uh, Jan Regensburg. Uh, there's a reason why they they won their first games and were top of the table. And Schalke, you know, they will need some time to adjust and stick together. And at the moment, it seems like there's a good team spirit, like the entire sport world is uh, celebrating the goals all together, even the, the guys who, who were sitting on the bench. But for the, you know, for the automatic automatism, uh, like the, the passes and, you know, the, the, the flow of the game, It will need some time because I think from 11 starting players, 10 or 9 of them are new. I think only Mandik, Chow and Ralf Fermat, they are the the two guys who who are still there, but all of the others, they are new. And it will take some time, but it's it's not sure if Schalke will get the time if they they have to, you know, be be level and, and be stay at the top of the table for, for as long as they can. Uh, until the point when they, when they really, when all things click and they could stick together. Yeah, so it will be a, a tough, uh, tough season, and um, you have you have named all the other teams who are very ambitious as well. I think also Nuremberg, um, they have a really, you know, really ambitious coach, uh, manager, and. Uh, Yeah, some some other teams who can really were looking for going up, Humble Fall and all the others. And as in every year of the second division, there's always one surprising 
team that uh, is promoted, like Grotha uh, Fürth in the last season, and now it seems like Jan Regensburg could be one of their contenders. So it will be very difficult for them to, to get back to the first division. If you would have to highlight some players who are going to be important for Schalke going forward this season, who would you highlight? Yeah, you have to mention uh, Simon Tirode. I think he's only seven goals away from breaking the the goal-scoring record of the league. And I think he's a very humble guy and very good for the team spirit. And the, the new captain right now, Victor Paulsen, he comes from Darmstadt 98. It's a very interesting player to watch on the pitch because he is uh, he's running and fighting and he he could be one of the leader but also with a yeah with an interesting or hard uh, biography so far because uh, he lost his mom to drug and alcohol addiction he openly speaks about uh, depression so when you speak to him when you see him when you learn to know him you uh, you, you meet a guy who is really standing in the, in the middle of the life and really knows about things not only on the pitch but off the pitch he's a, he's like a, he's a true personality and that is that is important he knows he knows much more than just the football field and the third guy I would name is uh, Fairman he's the one who knows the club best so it's always important for a football team to to have access of in a team like the goalkeeper one defender, one one guy in the midfield and one guy up front who really are responsible for for speaking on the pitch and really leading the team. I think Fairman, Patson and Toroda are three of the guys who could be very important. So, um, prediction time then. Uh, how do you think this season is going to end up for Schalke? Is, is, are they going to turn things around and get back to the Bundesliga or are they going to be stuck in the Zweite Liga for some time like HSV is done, for instance? Uh, it's Right now, it's really difficult to say. If you look at the game on Saturday against Düsseldorf, you would say, yes, definitely, they're going back up. There's a good team spirit and they're, they're running all over the pitch and there's, you know, they're, they're fighting for it and they know what challenge this league could be. But if you go back one week before when they were really thrashed by Jan Regensburg 4-1 with uh, just no yeah, no resilience on the pitch, you would say, okay, it's also... It could also be the case that they got relegated in the into the third division. I think if you look at all the games played and yeah, draw line down, I think it won't do for for being in the first two positions. Maybe they could be third at the end and go into the relegation. I think that would be my prediction. But as Paul Gascoigne once said, I never made predictions and I won't ever do that. <laughs> Excellent. I actually predicted Werder Bremen to finish first at the start of the season on my Twitter account. Um, I'm really regretting it, as I've seen the first five matches and not been overly impressed uh, despite that no, no. Despite that 3-0 uh, win over Hansa Rostock uh, this weekend. Well, anyways, uh, this is it for another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. Ron, it's, it's truly been a pleasure having you back on our show. It's been far too long since we last spoke uh, but before I let you go tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media you can look it up on my Twitter account Ron Ulrich R-O-N-U-R-R-I-C-H 11 that comes from my former from my former magazine I worked for 11 friends but I didn't manage to to change the, the Twitter profile <laughs> 
I think that would be the best way. And yeah, if you just want to get in, in contact or have some critics or just say what a bullshit I was telling you about, uh, you can just write me a drop me an email. It was, would be mail at ron minus ulrich dot de. I think that will do. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, my name is Nick Wiltong. You can find me on Twitter at Norm Musings. You can find the podcast on the same social network if you look up at Talking Foosball. Next up on this channel are the Fantasy Boys, James and Flo, who are going to tell you all you need to know ahead of the next match deal. Until then, it's goodbye for now.